We're in John chapter 20 this morning. John chapter 20. As we continue on looking at the uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, we we began uh, last week looking here at the beginning of chapter 20 as we looked at uh, uh, some of the uh, witnesses to to the resurrection. Uh, and that, so we need to remember that's where we're at here in John chapter 20 as Jesus has risen from the dead. Remember last week, John and Peter uh, ran to the empty tomb. They saw the linen cloths that Jesus had been wrapped in. And it looked like they uh, were still lying there just as He had, uh, had been laid there when He was buried. And it was as if He had just come straight through those, uh, those cloths. The linen grave cloths, the strips of cloth, looked like Jesus had come up. The, the handkerchief, uh, though, was, was uh, off by itself, uh, as if Jesus had removed it by His own hands, which we believe He did, and it was folded and laid by itself. Uh, this pointed to the fact that Jesus uh, had rose from the dead bodily, physically, and used then his own hands to remove uh, that handkerchief and to fold it and set it by itself. Jesus had done exactly what he said he would do. Uh, Before the sun had risen on that third day, Jesus had risen from the dead. And we basically had had three witnesses to the resurrection last week. First, the resurrection, excuse me, the witness of the stone rolled away from the tomb. And second, the witness of the linen grave cloths. And thirdly, the witness of the Apostle John. But the the Gospel of John isn't finished. We're going to continue on this morning looking at more witnesses uh, here with with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. now we know that uh, eyewitness uh, testimony of anything is the best kind of witness there is. Uh, I know that when we lived down in, in, in Wichita, they, there was on the news one time, uh, there was a murder trial going on in Hutchison, Kansas. And uh, the news reporter told how the defendant was found guilty even though they didn't have any eyewitnesses. And that was a pretty amazing thing. Of course, we have other kind of witnesses uh, today, but not just eyewitnesses, but eyewitnesses seem to be the best. Uh, We have several eyewitnesses here in the Gospel of John. And the Scripture tells us over in 1 Corinthians 15 that there were over 500 people that were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ. And remember, according to Deuteronomy 19.15 that we looked at last week, that we only need two or three witnesses to establish a fact. And we have over 500 witnesses. Out of all the appearances, uh, John here, uh, out of all the eyewitnesses, Uh, And out of all the appearances that Jesus gave, John only selects three. John uh, chose these three because his purpose is to prove uh, and proclaim that Jesus Christ is uh, 
the Son of God, that He is God in the flesh. And so He's giving these appearances of Jesus to help us to see that very fact. And so here we are in John chapter 20, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 18 this morning. John chapter 20, verses 9 through 18, and we're going to look at some more witnesses of the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's stand if you found your place. John chapter 20, verses 9 through 18. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 9. For as yet they knew not the Scriptures, that He must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. Verse 11, But Mary stood outside of the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in, in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back, and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him from here, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said unto her, Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that He had spoken these things unto her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for today. We thank You for Your Word. We do thank You for the privilege that we have to read and study about the resurrection of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You so much that He not only died and was buried, but He did rise from the dead. And we thank You so much that He is alive today, uh, sitting at Your right hand. Lord, we thank You for all that He's done for us and that He continues to do for us. And Lord, we pray that any that would hear these words from your word, from the scriptures today, that they would realize Jesus truly is risen from the dead and that they can have faith, they can place their faith in Christ and have everlasting life. We thank you so much for all that he's done for us. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We begin here by looking at uh, verse 9. We see this first witness that we're looking at today, the witness of the Scriptures. It says, For as yet they knew not the Scripture, that He must rise again from the dead. Now, clear back in John chapter 5, I'm not going to turn there, but you can read it later if you, if you so choose. Uh, when we went over John chapter 5, Jesus used the Scripture then as a witness for Him that He was the Christ, 
uh, God in the flesh. And we need to remember that the scripture that they're talking about here is the scripture of the Old Testament. Because at this time, uh, as John is, is uh, uh, th- that these things are happening here in John chapter 20, Jesus has just risen from the dead and he's talking here with Mary Magdalene that that's the only scriptures that they had. The New Testament has not been written yet. In fact, John does not write uh, his gospel here until about 90 A.D., about almost 60 years after the fact uh, of all these things that have happened. And so, uh, so the Old Testament scriptures is what John is referring to here. And of course, the early church used the Old Testament to prove that Jesus is the Christ and that He died for sinners and rose from the dead. Remember when, uh, when the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verses 3 and 4, remember he said, uh, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died according to the Scriptures, according to the Old Testament Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures according to the Old Testament Scriptures. And so that's what he was talking about there, was he was talking about how he had used the Old Testament to prove that Jesus was the Christ, and that He died and was buried and rose again the third day. All from the Old Testament. Uh, We've looked at several Old Testament prophecies that uh, talked about Jesus going to be crucified, and uh, there's just many and many of those. I want to look at some verses here this morning. First, let's go to Psalm chapter 16. Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. They talk about the resurrection of the Savior. Psalm 16, beginning in verse 8. Psalm 16, 8 through 11. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in Sheol or in the grave. Neither wilt thou permit thine Holy One to see corruption. Verse 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. These verses were used by Peter when he preached in Acts chapter 2 what we would call the day of Pentecost. That's, these are some of those verses that he was using. And verse 10 is talking about the resurrection. For thou wilt not leave my soul in Sheol, in hell, in the grave. Neither wilt thou permit thy Holy One to see corruption. You see, the Jewish people, they believed that a body, a dead body, began to be corrupt after three days. And so Jesus was going to be raised that third day. And so that's why Peter used this verse 
neither wilt thou permit thy Holy One to see corruption. And so the idea was that Jesus would be raised from the dead before his body became corrupt. And so that's why Peter was using this because he knows that David wrote this. And so he, he basically says, David's cemetery plot is right here with us. And guess who's in that cemetery? Guess who's buried in David's tomb? It's like the old joke, you know, who's buried in Grant's tomb? Well, who's buried in David's tomb? David. It's pretty simple. David was buried in David's tomb and he was still there several hundred years after the fact. Had his body seen corruption? Definitely. Definitely. And so what Peter is saying is that he wasn't saying that about himself. He was saying that about the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And so that's exactly what happened. Jesus was raised before that fourth day there that morning, uh, morning there that Sunday morning. And so he saw no corruption. And that's what Peter was doing as he was using this passage in Psalm 16 as he preached on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then let's go to Psalm 110. Psalm 110. Psalm 110. Peter also used this verse. Psalm 110 and verse 1. It says here, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And of course, as Jesus rose from the dead, and then later He ascended up to heaven, we know where did Jesus go? He went and He sat down at the right hand of God the Father. And that's what Psalm 110 verse 1 is talking about. And so Peter used these verses to prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And of course, as we think what Jesus did, as He was talking about how He would be rising from the dead, He used the prophet Jonah. He used the prophet Jonah to illustrate His death, burial, and resurrection. And of course, Jonah being from the Old Testament, Old Testament prophet, Jesus speaking about this in, uh, in Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to turn there and read these verses from, from what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 12. Verses 39 and 40, Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 and 40. I'm going to start in verse 38. Uh, it says here, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Remember, as we've gone through the Gospel of John, there were people there who were just wanting to see a show. And so they were hoping to see a miracle that Jesus did and kind of just see a magic show almost. And, and that's what the scribes and Pharisees say. say, you know, give us a sign. Give us a sign. And what does Jesus say? He answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given, it, given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah." For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
And so Jesus used the prophet Jonah, something that was very familiar to the to the Jewish people. They would have understood the prophet Jonah. They, they'd heard that uh, story uh, since they were little, just like we have going to Sunday school as a little kid. And we heard that story from the Old Testament, how that Jonah was uh, went into the water, was swallowed by the fish, what we usually called him a whale. And... Uh, and then after three days, the fish came and vomited Jonah out on dry land. And Jesus says, this is a sign. The only sign that you're going to get is that I'm going to be in the heart of the earth. And the, uh, as he said there, uh, uh, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to be in the ground, in the grave for those three days. And then I'm going to be resurrected. Uh, resurrected is the idea that he's get, getting to there. And that was the only sign that he was going to give to them. And so they knew that he was prophesying that he was going to die and that he was going to raise from the dead. And then there, there's the Apostle Paul who in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, what we usually call the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, he used an illustration of the feast of the first fruits uh, from the Old Testament to illustrate the resurrection of Jesus. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and beginning in verse 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept the first fruits for since by man came death by man came also the resurrection of the of the dead for as in adam all die even so in christ shall all be made alive but every man in his own order christ the first fruits afterward they that are christ at his coming and so he's using the 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 uh, uh, feast of the first fruits as an illustration of the resurrection. And so the, if you remember the Feast of the First Fruits, uh, when harvest would first begin there for the Jewish people, they were to gather the, the first fruits of their harvest and bring it as a sacrifice to the temple. And it would be a sign that they were trusting God for the rest of the harvest. The rest of, of the grain and the, and the fruits and all those things that would be harvested later. And so Christ is the first fruits. Christ is what was brought as an offering, as a show that there would be many, many more people come to be resurrected later. And of course, we are part of that harvest that is to come later when all of us are resurrected as well. Jesus Christ was the first fruits. He was the one, the offering given to God. And as we will then be resurrected ourselves later, as the uh, obvious fulfillment of the harvest and the feast of the first fruits is that picture then of Christ being resurrected first. And then all of us will be resurrected after that. And so then when we come to the New Testament, we've already looked at some things here in the New Testament. Of course, the Gospels, all four of the Gospels talk about the resurrection of Christ. 
And so we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, they completely agree with one another as to their witness of the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we have Old Testament, we have New Testament that both say that Jesus Christ is alive. And so we have the witness of the scriptures. And so when John says here, back to John chapter 20, verse 9, For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. They did not understand it at this particular time when all these things were happening that the Old Testament actually prophesied that Jesus would rise from the dead. They didn't understand that. They knew Jesus had said it, but they didn't understand the Old Testament said all of those things as well. And so we have the, the witness of the Scriptures. Uh, the second witness, uh, here as we go on, we have the second witness of Mary Magdalene in verses 11 through 18. Now, if you remember back in verses 1 and 2 was Mary's first witness. And I'm going to read those two verses just to remind us. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, into the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Remember that first, the very early morning of Resurrection Sunday, that Mary and some other ladies came to the tomb. They were going to finish the preparation of the body of Jesus for his burial. Uh, the things that Joseph and Nicodemus weren't quite able to finish up because they were in a rush to get the body buried before that six o'clock. Uh, time frame when the Sabbath actually began. And so they rushed to get everything done. And what they had not got done, the ladies were coming on that first day of the week, the day after the, the Sabbath, and they were going to finish. And of course, they knew that a problem was going to be the stone. The stone was going to be in the way. How are these ladies going to get the stone out of the way? They knew that they wouldn't be able to. But as they were walking up, they were able to see that the stone was gone. And Mary leaves immediately because she has assumed, she has assumed that somebody has come in and stolen the body of Jesus. And that's why she goes and runs to Peter and John and she tells them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid him. So she thinks that that's what's happened. Of course, that's when Peter and John run to the, uh, run to the tomb and they see these things. And remember uh, what it said there about uh, John uh, in verse 8. It said, Then went in also that other disciple who came first to the sepulchre, that was the Apostle John, and he saw and believed. I think that the Apostle John was the first to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. As he has gone in, he's seen all these things that Peter saw, and he believes. 
I, I truly think that's what it's, it's saying here, that John believes that Jesus has risen from the dead. But Peter and John leave, and John never tells Mary that that's what he thinks has happened. They just leave. They go back. But then that's when we start here in verse 11. But Mary stood outside of the sepulcher weeping. And so Mary stays there at the tomb as Peter and John go back to where they were. And Mary stays there and she is weeping there at the tomb. And why is she weeping? Because she thinks that somebody has stolen the body of Jesus. That's why she's weeping. This word for weeping is, is it's that loud lamentation type of weeping that we sometimes think about, or maybe we even see sometimes today that people in the Middle East, they still do that today. They make the loud lamentation and, and just seem to go over the top in their weeping. And that's what this word is talking about. That's what Mary is doing here as she's standing outside of the sepulcher. And she's weeping. And then we have that second word, wept. It says, and as she wept, that is the imperfect tense, meaning it's a continuous action in the past. And so this is just talking about the, the constant, unrestrained crying that she had. And then as she wept, it says uh, that uh, she... She looked into the sepulcher. And of course, she's going to see these two angels. Let me, let me go back and mention one thing. We might think, well, why is she crying like this? That seems to be so unnecessary. But again, remember what she's thinking here. She's thinking that Jesus is dead. She's thinking that someone has come and, come and stolen his body. And she has no idea where his body's at. It's normal to cry when somebody dies. That is a normal thing for us as humans. We do not cry because that someone has gone to heaven. We cry because they have left us and we miss them. That's very normal. But we do not sorrow like others, like those people who have no hope. You see, we know that if that loved one was a child of God, we know that we are going to see them again. Jesus spoke about this sorrow back in John chapter 16. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 20. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful. But your sorrow shall be turned into joy. Then he gives this illustration in verse 21. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. Verse 22. And ye know therefore... Excuse me, and ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And 
At this particular time, Mary is experiencing that sorrow that Jesus talked about. And she's ready for some joy, but she doesn't know that it's just right around the corner. She looks into the tomb. She sees these two angels. She, it doesn't seem to that she realizes that they're angels, but they are angels, and, uh, and, and she just doesn't really see them very well. And so they ask her, Why are you weeping? That's what they say there in verse 13. They say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And what they're implying by this is that it's not time to weep and that there was nothing really to cry about. Again, she's weeping, as we've said before, because she believes that Jesus is dead and that she doesn't know where his body has been taken. But notice what she said there in verse 13. Because they have taken away my Lord. Even though he's dead and she does not know where his body is, she still believed that Jesus was her Lord. And that's an amazing thing. Mary doesn't have a whole lot of faith here, but she certainly had love for her Lord. And we need to kind of we need to have that kind of love for our Savior and Lord as well. And then Mary turns away, verse 14, and when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. She doesn't continue her conversation with the angels for some reason or another, but as she turned away from the tomb, she came face to face with Jesus and she doesn't know it. She doesn't know it. And again, we might ask the question, well, why doesn't she know him? Well, there could be several possible reasons. We know that she knew him well. We know that for a fact. Possibly a reason that she wouldn't have known him was her eyes are filled with tears. When our eyes are filled with tears, we know that we can't see clearly. And so possibly her eyes are filled with tears. And so she can't see Jesus, even though she's looking at him face to face. It's very possible if you remember in Luke 24, 16, when Jesus is talking to those uh, men who are walking to Emmaus, and he joined himself to them. And it says that their eyes were restrained. Meaning Jesus supernaturally made it so that they could not see and, and tell who it was that they were talking to. Possibly that's happened here. We don't know all the reasons. But you notice what she says to him. Uh, she, she thinks Jesus is the gardener. Sir, if, you, if thou have borne him from here, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. So Mary is ready to get the body of Jesus and to carry it away to take care of it. You know, and that's nice and all, but 
Mary, you know, she, she's got a nice idea, but that is something that's not going to be able to happen. She's not going to be able to pick up the body of Jesus and to just carry him away herself. And so that's not going to happen. But then we come to verse 16, and Mary finally recognizes the Lord. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. So Jesus, I think, here reveals Himself. And notice He doesn't say, Mary, you should know Me by now. He doesn't say that to her. He doesn't rebuke her. He knows that she's confused. And so He's, he's being very tender as He reveals Himself to her. And He calls her by her name, Mary. Uh, the Greek is Maria, Aramaic is Miriam, and probably that's what he said. He probably called her her name in Aramaic because that's probably what Jesus spoke uh, that first in that first century. And we have the as she says to him, Rabboni, that is actually Aramaic as well, related to the Greek word Rabbi. But it's not the exact same word because uh, sometimes this word Rabboni was used in the Old Testament times and they were talking to the Lord God Himself. And, and in fact, uh, the uh, over in Mark, I'm not going to turn there, but you can write it down and look at it later. Mark 10.51, Mark 10.51. The New King James and the New American Standard use this Rabboni because it's the same word as here. But the King James translates it Lord because sometimes that word could be used in referring to the Lord. And so here Jesus reveals Himself and uh, Mary knows exactly what she's supposed to do because Jesus gives her instruction there in verse 17. Jesus says to her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. So her first instruction, Jesus, as Jesus told her, Touch me not, it's literally, Do not cling to me. Literally, do not cling to me. Uh, because she probably fell at his feet and was holding on to his feet uh, just as the other ladies did over in Matthew chapter 24. And so it's, it's, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 28. And so it wasn't wrong for her to touch him. It's just that she was going to cling to him and hold on to him so he couldn't get away again. And so that's what she's, that's the idea. She didn't want to lose him again. And so G, that's what Jesus says, don't cling to me. And this also is giving us the idea and giving Mary and others the idea that, uh, that Jesus says he is going to heaven. As he had told them before, he was going to heaven, going back to the Father but what did he say? He's going to live inside of them. He was going to live inside the believers. And so we do not have a 
physical, fleshly relationship with Christ, but we now have a spiritual relationship with Christ as Jesus Christ lives inside of us. So that was the first thing that he told her. The, the next instruction that he gave her here in verse 17, he says, But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend to my father and your father, and to my God and your God. Go tell my brethren. You know, this is, this is something new that we have here. Go tell my brethren. This is something new and exciting, I believe. Remember, Jesus had already told them that they had a new relationship with Him. Go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verse 15. Jesus there said, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. So we see the progression of the relationship. First, it was servants. Second, it was friends. And being a friend is much better than being a servant. So we can see the big step up in the relationship there that Jesus gave to the disciples in John 15. But now we see another step. He says, go to my brethren. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the disciples. And so we see the progression from servants to friends to brethren. And we talked about this some in Sunday school this morning, how we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. As we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we become children of God, sons and daughters of God, and we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We, are, we have a new relationship. We've gone from servants to friends to brethren. We are in the family of God, and we are joint heirs with Jesus. And so we have that, that standing with Jesus as we are joint heirs. We are on the same level in that sense uh, with Jesus Christ. So what does Mary do? Verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that He had spoken these things unto her. So she went and announced to the disciples, Christ's brothers, I have seen the Lord. And of course, she's different. She's completely changed. She's no longer crying. She's no longer sorrowing. She's full of excitement and joy. Excitement and joy. And our testimony is to be just like hers. <coughs> Excuse me. I know that Jesus is alive from the dead because He lives in my heart. There's the old gospel song. You ask me how, I know He lives. He lives within my heart. We have that assurance. We have that excitement. We have that joy because Jesus lives inside of us. 
We don't have to just go on a secondhand testimony, secondhand witness, but we have firsthand testimony and witness in our heart. Jesus lives inside of us. We might think, well, why didn't Jesus just go and appear to the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Why didn't He just go downtown Jerusalem and show Himself to everyone and not just to His followers? Why didn't He do that? Well, I'm going to I'm going to turn to uh, Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And, and I'll show you why He didn't do that. Luke chapter 16, verses 30 and 31. This is the account of the rich man and Lazarus. Remember the rich man told Abraham, he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, meaning Abraham, Father Abraham said to the rich man, he said, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. You see, if Jesus had gone and stood right in front of their face after He rose from the dead, they still would not have believed. He knew that. They still would not have believed. And you and I think, well, that's crazy. Surely they would have believed. They would not have. Their hearts were so hardened and so unbelieving and so unrepentant that they would not believe, though they saw Jesus themselves face to face in His resurrection body, they would never have believed. They would have never believed. Jesus knows that. That's why He never showed Himself to them. He showed Himself to those who had already believed. He showed Himself to them. And then, of course, after he ascended, what did he do? Well, he sat down at the right hand of the Father because his work of redemption is finished. When somebody sits down after work, they're finished. Their work is finished, their work is complete. Jesus, when he ascended to the Heavenly Father, his work was complete. It was finished. But we also need to realize that even though the work of Jesus is complete, His work of redemption is complete, He gave us instructions just like He gave to Mary. In Mark 16.15 it says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You see, the work of the Savior is done, but our work is not done. We are to go and tell. Tell others about His work, what He did for them, how that He died on the cross for them, how that He rose from the dead. We need to be telling them that Jesus Christ is alive. 
and that they can know Him as their Savior just as we do. We can think, well, why didn't Jesus just show Himself to them? If they won't believe our word, they won't believe though Jesus rise from the dead and stands right in front of them. They won't believe that either if they won't believe our testimony. And so He did give us instructions. His work is done. Ours is not. We all know people, whether it's family, might be friends, it might be neighbors, that we just need to continue to share the Gospel with them. Do the very best that we can. We have co-workers, whoever it might be, that we can share the Gospel with them that they might come to know Christ as Savior as well. His work is complete, but ours is not. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for this morning. We thank You so much for our Savior. We thank You that He died on the cross, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, just as He said He would, just as the Old Testament prophesied that He would. We thank You so much for that. We pray now that as we go from this place that we would realize that our work is not done. That we still have work to do. And our work is to be sharing the Gospel. To go and tell. Share the Gospel with those that we come in contact with that Jesus truly is alive. Lord, I pray that we would have that opportunity this week. Lord, that You would help us to have the courage to tell others. There might be somebody in our family. It might be friends. It might be co-workers. It might be neighbors. Uh, whoever it might be, Lord, give us the boldness to share the Gospel with them. As we look forward to this coming time of the year with Easter coming up that we celebrate in a special way, the resurrection of our Savior. Lord, I pray that we would realize that this is the perfect time to share Christ with them. Thank you so much for somebody sharing Christ with us. May we now go and share Christ with others. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.